Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Anita J, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Today is Tuesday, November 28th, 2017, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we're reading from the big book, and we are on page XXVIII in the doctor's opinions. We're concentrating on only one paragraph this morning, the third paragraph, which begins with, if any feel that as psychiatrists. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Amanda S., 12 traditions, Anita L., and the readers of the text today are Mary B., Julie R., and waiting in the wings, Carmela G. The share ID for yesterday, Monday, November 27th, are for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting, 10,716. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, 10,718, 10,718. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Amanda S. to read Always 12 Steps. Good morning. May I be heard? Yes. Thanks, Amanda. Okay. Good morning, everyone. This is Amanda S., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 
Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Amanda S., And now I'll ask Anita L. to read OA's 12 Traditions. Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from outside of Philadelphia. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that, I pass. Have a beautiful day. Thanks very much, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year 
and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass and then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today we're resuming our study of the big book on page XXVIII. We're concentrating on the third paragraph only, which begins, if any feel that is psychiatrists. And I've asked Mary B. to start us off. Morning, Mary. Good morning, Anita. Can I be heard? Yes, thank you. Thank you, Darren. Thank you for your service. This is Mary B. Gratefully Recovered in Central California. If any feel that a psychiatrist directing a hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental, let them stand with us a while on the firing line, see the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children, Let the solving of these problems become a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments. And the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We feel after many years of experience that we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing up among them. Okay, I'm just going to go down this paragraph because I did see a psychiatrist and the best thing I got from those sessions was discovering fake fingernails. But I saw a doctor, um, a new doctor, quite a few years ago, back in the day of uh, paper file folders and paper uh, records. And that doctor kept looking at my records and my weight loss and pacing up and back and saying, what is it you do? What is it you do? How old are you? (laughs) And when I told him what I do, he says, I have patients who are going to die and they won't stay on the diet that I put them on. And somehow I managed to say to him, doctor, if you told me right now, that I was going to die, I would walk out of here and head right for B's Bakery. Now, if only people from the San Fernando Valley would know B's Bakery. I don't know whether he understood that or not, but that was it. I knew that that's exactly what I would do, and it was the best description of my disease. Now, it talks about the family, the despairing family, the tragedies. And in our disease, we'd like to say, well, you know, we don't wind up in jail and not many marriages break up because of this. And we managed to get our kids dressed and off to school. But when I uh, married my present husband, I decided to eat like a normal person again, took my substance back into my body. 
And even though I wasn't gaining weight, maybe a, a very few pounds, I, um, he packed up and left me three times in our first year. Why? Because when that substance enters my body, it changes me. That poor man did not know what wife he was waking up to in the morning. But I knew what was going on. And with the help of my wonderful sponsor, who is my sponsor today, and this was 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago, my husband and I are still, we'll be celebrating our, I believe, 19th anniversary in January. And I will skip down to the words, the altruistic movement, which is what this is. Recovered compulsive eaters helping others to recover from this deadly disease. And it is deadly. I have lost several friends to this disease. It is an altruistic movement and helping one another to get our lives together, to, um, to live this way of life with these 12 steps and this wonderful book, to help each other find that higher power that is the only solution to this disease. And thank you for the opportunity to share. I pass. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mary B. I would like to take names now. This, this is Larry. Larry. Harlan G. Harlan. Vasa O. Vasa O. Jan- Janice M. Janice M. Melissa and Laura, or Maura Z. Maura Z and... Melissa C. And Lauren N. Lauren N. All right, I'm going to stop there because that's a wonderful number here. All right, Larry, followed by Harlan, Vasa, Janice, uh, Melissa, Maura, and Lauren N. So, good morning, Larry. You are up. Okay, thank thank you so much for your service. I, I appreciate it, Anita. Uh, this is uh, Larry Kay. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. You know, th- this paragraph's always been very special to me. See, I, I am I am someone on the firing line. I've always been, even before I came into program, I was on the firing line in the in the medical profession. And uh, what was interesting to me is you know you you will find doctors um and other you know other other professional folks in this program you won't find many you'll find them you know some of them you may be one of them but you will not find many comparatively um and and i think one of the reasons um is because you know you're there's there's such skepticism there's kind of the skepticism that comes with uh with ego also with scientific learning too but you know wrapped up in ego and so um, you, you will find folks that, that take notice of you and what's happened, but they still suffer in their own disease, these professionals, many of them. I certainly did. And uh, the ego and the narcissism and the self-centeredness um, will keep them stuck in that disease. And they'll, they'll see some of you get better, and, uh, and they'll take notice. 
But, you know, what's interesting to me is, uh, yeah, you, you know, what's difficult about this is, um, you know, if you're on the firing line, you know, I can remember um, working with a young man before I ever came into program. And uh, this was a young man. He was a senior in high school. And uh, he, he had major addiction problems. He had many other problems too, right? But, uh, but the addiction was a major problem. And he, he was occasionally honest with me, but not really. Now, that young man took his life. And I share that with you. This was many, many years ago before I ever came into program. I share that with you because I, I have seen on the firing line just how cunning and baffling and, and the horror. Can you imagine getting a call, several you know, calls from about 1 a.m.? about 6 a.m. Of course, I was sleeping from his mother, despairing mother. Can you imagine what that was like, you know, going out to the hospital? You know, see, he was already dead, but he was, you know, still kept on life support. Um, he died of the addiction. And, you know, so I, I saw that. And yet, I'll tell you how, how ironic that I was later to be introduced to this 12-step way of life by a former heroin addict who was many years out, out of the uh, out of the addiction, and I was relate trying to relate to him, and I I said, well, I have that issue with food because he didn't think I could understand, and he and he turned to me and he said, huh, he said, I think there's there's something called Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> I I smiled. It was six months later that in my depths of my, the misery that I I came to Overeaters Anonymous, and I'm grateful for that. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks very much, Larry. Harlan G., good morning. Good morning, Anita, and thank you to, to you and to Team Tuesday for making this meeting possible. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be alive. In every sense of the word, this disease is a tragedy of exponential horror. I've said this before. And I will say this till I die. This disease is mind over matter. It doesn't mind killing you, and you don't matter. Every dream I dreamed was shattered by this illness. By the time I was a kid, I didn't want to do school. I was just looking at that clock to make sure that it was going forward so I could eat lunch. And then in the afternoon, I wanted it to go forward so I could get snacks after school. I wasn't listening to what the teacher was saying. By the time I was 10 years old, I was emasculated mentally and physically by this illness. By the time I was in high school, I was 335 pounds as a senior. By the time I was a sophomore in college, I was over 500 pounds. I never felt like other people. I never looked like other people. I grew up jealous. I grew up envious of the fact that they could eat three French fries and stop and I could not. Food didn't seem to hold the place in their lives that it held in my life. I never had a day where I felt okay. I never had a day from infancy on where I looked and felt like other people. There was no real joy in my life. The only real happiness I had, not joy, but happiness in my life, was when I could amass some money and get massive quantities of candy and when I had massive quantities of candy, I felt like I was okay. That's not living. That's not living. 
this disease took everything from me and I am a survivor in every sense of the word. But this disease has a solution. And it's not in diets, although we have to have a food plan. It's not just in the fellowship, although that's important. It is in the spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. Worked passionately, worked daily, worked minute to minute, I can have a semblance of, not a semblance, but I can have a real life. I am alive today. Is everything in my life perfect? Far from it. Do I have heartache every, you know, on days? Yes, I do. But I can live today knowing that I didn't eat anything yesterday or so far today that I am in any way ashamed of and I didn't raise my hand to hurt myself with food or any other embarrassing action. That's freedom. That's living. It's not that we're going to die of this. It's that if we don't do the steps, we never will have lived. The saddest words of tongue or pen are these few words it might have been. This is a serious illness to be treated with the utmost respect. Thank God that there is a solution. And thank God for Overeaters Anonymous, for it is the only path on which I have ever walked that I could be alive today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much, Harlan. Vasa, oh, good morning to you. And then it'll be Janice. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Anita J., for your service. I'm Vasa, grateful, 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 recovered, compulsive Vita, calling from Fox, from Florida. And sometimes I feel like I have nothing to add. People have already shared what I needed to share. And again, I had some control over the years with the food, but it was getting progressively worse. And uh, especially when I got pregnant with our first child, I gained 35 pounds. And that was with dieting. And I remember the doctor kept on telling me, you know, your, your feet are getting swollen, you're getting lots of fluid in your body, you've got to watch out your salt, you've got to watch your sugars, you've got to watch this. I tried, I tried, but I couldn't keep it down. And I still gained the 35 pounds, even we trying. So it was progressive. I'm only 5'1". That was a lot of weight, but I felt I was eating for two people. At least I didn't feel as guilty then. Before I felt guilty, now I'm eating for two people. Well, that baby weighed only like six pounds, and the rest of it was my weight, you know, I didn't lose that much, and then I had to kill myself, try to lose the rest of it, but never lost the, I never lost the rest of the weight. I mean, I had struggles with the food since I was like 15 years old. When we came to this country, I gained 20 pounds in one month. And I loved food. Food was my love. And it backfired on me, though. And finally, this was my last stop. Over it is anonymous. I had gave in into the food. I said, there's nothing more I can do, and I'm just going to die miserable. And this was the last. This was my last chance. But I needed to find a power greater than myself 
put the food down, work the steps, otherwise I was just going to die. And I was dying gradually, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, whatever you you call it. You know, I was dying gradually. I was digging my own grave. I heard with a fork and a spoon or a knife, whatever. You know, I had no control. And this is it. This is it. Follow the direction that we laid out, and it's by the grace of God. I've been here for many, many, many years. And this is the only thing that has worked for me. And I thank you for letting me share, and I pass. And looking forward to listening to other people's stories. Thank you. Thanks very much, Vasa. Good morning, Janice. It's your turn. And, <clears throat> pardon me, and good morning to you, Anita J. Um, this is Janice M. I make sure I write your name down so I won't goof up. But anyway, my name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Yeah, they're talking. You know, this is a challenge to us, to me anyway, uh, because I was a cynic. You know, I was always judging and criticizing and negative with psychiatrists or doctors. And, you know, I'm going to break my anonymity. I'm married to one. I'm married to a dental surgeon. And, you know, he wasn't a very emotional man. He still isn't. And I guess I used to say, well, maybe, you know, he doesn't really mean it. Or I was always, like, justifying uh, just yesterday we had um, a, a discussion, not a discussion, he didn't have any floss or something, and, I, and he uses toothpicks. Now, I'm telling him, see, I have such a disease that I'm still telling the professional, you know, that, oh, well, then just use the stimulants. You don't have to use the floss, and you don't, you shouldn't be using <laughs> And he's saying, what, what are you talking about? But, see, I never listened to these doctors. And, you know, he used to tell me, if you're eating all that sugar, it's getting in your teeth. You're going to have, eventually you're going to have some teeth extractions. And I didn't listen to him. It's just like, you know, we don't listen to uh, uh, people on this, recovered people. We're cynics. We, we, don't, we're, we don't trust them for some reason. Or I'm just self-rationalizing and justifying what I think I know, which is the worst thing, because I don't know. So, yeah, these psychiatrists that's writing this, the doctors, you know, you think we're not sentimental? (laughs) Oh, yeah, let me tell you something, that we don't have attachments to people. Let you be here. You be here and see uh, what happens to the families and and people that... that, uh, you know, that die from this disease. And just like my husband, he used to tell me, you know, you're going to end up with uh, missing teeth. I don't pay any attention to him. And, of course, the consequences are that, you know, he knew what he was talking about. But that's what it is. And and because, you know, I wanted him to say, oh, you know, be sentimental. And he's not. He's just not. So it's the experiences. Like this doctor, he has experiences. He's seen it. I think that's a very important thing. It's just like, you know, dentists, doctors, uh, whoever they are in the medical field um, have seen it, have experienced it as recovered people that we talk to. They've seen it. They've had it themselves. They've experienced it. And the only thing that works that he says to rehabilitate is to restore us back to a to a healthy being of both body by, you know, what is what is rehabilitation? It is uh, restoring us to a normal state of health or activity by education or therapy. And that's what's happening here in this big book. We are being restored to body, mind, 
you know, through treatment of the 12 steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks very much, Janice M. Uh, Melissa C. followed by Maura Z. Hi. Good morning, Anita J. Good morning, everybody. Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, you know, so, yeah, is this like, sentimental or these doctors being um, sentimental. I, I remember, like, reading this thinking, how melodramatic. Like, maybe this applies for, for alcoholics, but here's where I can part ways, you know, because after all, it's only food. What 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 are they talking about and whose lives are being destroyed? And, um, you know, and if that's, uh, that was my thinking, the truth was, I hadn't suffered enough yet. I wasn't ready. You know, this disease makes you, makes me a liar, makes me able to deceive myself into thinking that I wasn't causing any real harm. But um, I certainly was. And living a life um, where you lower the bar over and over and over again, what is acceptable for you and for your family your, my standards got lower and lower, um, you know, as as my desire for the food increased, and and for me as my weight increased. So the choices I made um, were so that I can continue eating, so that I could go places where my body size um, wasn't as uncomfortable, you know. So I avoided places um, that made me feel uncomfortable about how, how large I was. And that is damaging to a family. That is painful to your children to not take them places. Um, you know, and, and you can lie. I could lie and tell them that the reasons were it was too crowded. But the reasons were is that I was uncomfortable. I could not put my body um, in water parks, in small tight you know, situations, avoiding um, public transportation, avoiding concerts and, and events. And that does make for a, an unhappy home, you know, and, um, and and that's not the way that I'm best meant to live, you know. And the other thing is other people that didn't live with me who watched me get larger and larger, people that loved me, my mother, um, you know, my siblings would say things like, um, Melissa, you really have to start putting yourself first, <laughs> you know, and, and that was not the solution to this because Melissa was always putting herself first. They just didn't know it, um, you know, but the altruistic movement, that's putting others first. I, I couldn't even begin to do that until I put the food down um, and, you know, and, and then start really working the steps of this program. And that's what's rehabilitated me. That's what's allowed me to go places, be present um, for my family, for others around me. And, um, and that's the great gift, that, that my standards um, are no longer, um, no longer dictated by my food. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Melissa. Uh, that, that was not Maura Z. So, Lauren N., are you available? Good morning, Anita J. <laughs> Lauren N. How are you? Wonderful. Please go ahead. 
Thank you so much for being on this call and for everyone being here today. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Oh, I am so grateful for this program one day at a time and for this way of being able to realize that, um, you know, very interestingly, I was showing a, a before picture to someone on Facebook uh, because I don't have any on my phone, and somehow the before picture became my my primary picture on Facebook. I, you know, whatever. I thought I was good at this, but I obviously wasn't. And the before picture was up there for about. 24 hours, and I was like mortified when I realized that was out there. Now, you know, I have friends that have been my friends for 20, 30 years, and they've seen me skinny and fat and skinny and fat many a times. Um, but I was mortified when I realized that I had put out one of my pre-everything recovery pictures on my Facebook page as my main page and I thought but that's me that's me that's where I am and thank God I'm no longer there thank God I'm proud to put my Facebook page out and my new pictures out and not ashamed of the way I look and can walk into places. And I remember, like it was yesterday, getting out of a getting out of a roller coaster ride because they couldn't close the 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 security thing because I was too large. And my son, who is, you know, now one of my qualifiers and struggles with this disease was little and probably, you know, seven years old and had to go on the ride by himself without his mom 20 years ago. Oh, God, thank God I'm not there anymore. I was going to die. I was going to die. I had diabetes and I had shots that I gave myself every day, I was going to die. And seven years later, I'm down 130 pounds, and thank God I'm not picking up during, as someone in my meeting say, this, this hugely stressful time that used to start on Halloween and go until the end of February when my birthday was, and I would gain 50 pounds in that time. Thank you very much for that, and I pass. Thanks so much, Lauren. Ken. All right. Who else would like to share? Lisa B. Nessa R. Nessa P. And Craig. Lucy R. Leslie Um, Look, let's stop right there, Suji and Leslie. 
and I hope, I think I could have missed a couple of you, but um, Nessa, wait a minute. Now I can't read my handwriting. Who who was before Nessa? There was a... Lisa B. Lisa B. I didn't have the B in. Dorita P. and Craig. Lucy, Sue, and Leslie W. All right. Lisa B., good morning. Well, good morning. This is Lisa B. I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. So grateful for this reading and this intensive study. Um, You know, I uh, have to really take things apart. Uh, Sometimes comprehending the big book, you know, was a challenge for me. So I really needed to look things up and talk to others and just um, really digest this this, um, book. So in this paragraph that we're studying today, when it talks about the despairing wives, well, despair is a word that I'm very familiar with. To me, it, it means hopeless unable to believe in the possibility of change for the better. And even though I seem to look okay on the outside, I had really, um, I think I had really just given up many, many years before. And there were, there were tombstones in my eyes, and I love that saying. I heard that saying on A Vision for You from another person that was sharing, and it just really sums it up. That dying inside, dying in the spirit, emotionally, mentally, you know, is something I was familiar with. Um, and it's a lo- and I, you can live a long time, you know, like that before the body dies. So when I came to a vision for you, I heard hope. I heard possibility, a belief in change for the better. Um, I was very familiar with the 12 steps. And I know all about step two, but I never really had an experience of this step. I never experienced the 12 steps being entirely abstinent. I never really thought it was possible to recover from this illness. I thought that, you know, just kind of wavering around in and out, in and out was as good as it was going to get. So I love that word despairing. And then the opposite of that is hope. And I heard that on this line. And then when he talks about people being cynical and that they'll wonder that they will not wonder why that we have accepted and encouraged. Well, again, you know, the words really jump out for me. Accepted is something I needed to do. I needed to recognize that this is a valid program with uh, proof and evidence that it works and it's worked for decades and decades and decades. And I needed to identify in with Bill's experience. And that's what the suggestion given to me when I was reading this book. Look to identify. Don't look on how you're different or if it's alcohol versus food. Today I know that this illness of compulsive overeating is just like alcoholism. It's just a different substance. And then when he talks about encourage, encourage, again, that's confidence and hope. And you guys encourage me. But, you know, the thing that lately I've been uh, learning more and more with myself, especially in working with others, is that um, I can try and transmit this message, but the person has to digest it on their own, you know. And that comes through a desire to want to make an earnest effort in doing this program, putting the food down. I have to be out of ideas, out of ideas, and see that I am truly hopeless. But I know that that's not where we are, where we are yet in the big book. This is Dr. Silver sharing his feelings and what happened for him. And when he saw this movement of, of it working, Evidence of it working, even with all of his medical training, he wasn't able to help others the way these people were getting help. So with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Uh, Nessa R., you are up. 
Hi, good morning, Vision for You. My name is Nessa R. and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, the altruistic movement now growing among them um, speaks to me about the transformation that is possible when the substance is down 100% and the steps are worked subsequently to that uh, in the exact manner prescribed in the big book. And I do believe it is a prescription for health. Um, you know, Bill was driven throughout his life um, with a quest for money, power, and prestige, as we're going to le- uh, read in a few weeks when we get into, uh, into Bill's story. You know, that's all that he wanted. But now he's giving away his newfound, I guess, quote-unquote, well, his spiritual well, his knowledge, his recovery from alcoholism, you know, without charging any money for it. Um, and, you know, in the, uh, in the future, he's going to practically give away the big book for a mere $3, which I guess in those days uh, was more than $3 would mean now, but still, um, he probably could have charged a lot more. And so it's the transformation that, that is brought to mind when I read these pages. And I, I have been transformed too as a result of becoming entirely abstinent and working these steps, not only physically, you know, which I have shed, you know, 70 pounds and, and, and kept them off for the past six years. But more importantly, my thinking has been transformed, my attitudes, my perspective, you know, so that I go through life and I face obstacles and challenges. I don't have to resort to food. I don't, food is not even on the radar screen to help me cope with situations, whether they're, you know, uh, petty or, or, or serious. Um, you know, uh, last Friday, I, I wasn't on this meeting. I, I dropped my phone in the sink and uh, it got, it got, uh, we got wet, like it was submerged in water and so it wasn't working for a while. And, you know, I would say six, seven years ago, um, I would have needed a slab of cheesecake and a call to the suicide prevention line in order to cope with that. But I just very calmly fished it out of the water, found a bag of rice, and, uh, and put it in for, for the weekend. And, you know, now obviously it's working because I'm calling from my phone. Um, you know, a few years ago, there were a lot of uh, deaths um, in my family, like to very, very close your people, my father, my mother-in-law, you know, a spiritual mentor. You know, it was, um, it was not an easy time. And again, food was not on the radar screen. I, I dealt with things calmly, um, collectively abstinent, and, you know, um, in a, in a recovered way. Like, I don't know what else, what else can I say. Like, this is the transformation that is possible for every one of us on this line, provided that we put the food down, we keep it down, and we work this wonderful program of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Nessa R. Thank you for the rice tip, too. Um, Dorita P., you are up, followed by Craig F. Thanks, Anita. Hi, my name is Dorita P. from Cleveland. And I'm really grateful to be here. Yeah, I'm grateful to be talking. Uh, you know, I love this book. And for new people, I hated this book. And I know hate is a really strong word, but I didn't understand the old language. But I, I love the book now years later. And it, and, it, and it allowed me to lose 100 pounds and keep it off. Um, yeah, um, so um, 
As psychiatrists directing the hospital for alcoholics, we appear somewhat sentimental. Let them stand with us a while on the firing line, see the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children. Let the solving of these problems become a part of their daily work and even of their sleeping moments. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I was in front of a lot of uh, professional people, psychiatrists, psychologists, doctors, uh, dietitians, all these professional people. And they couldn't, they could not help me. Um, and what's coming to mind for some reason is, um, I, I know of two, but I've heard of others, uh, eating disorder places that don't, um, maybe endorse OA, uh, OA is not part of their, uh, program. And, you know, so I'm just thinking of this part here, um, and even of their sleeping moments, you know, I, just, I was just thinking, you know, because they know about OA, you know, these people that work there and the professional people, they know about OA. Uh, and I know they know about it because, you know, they will find out about it uh, if they don't if they don't endorse it. Um, and I'm wondering, like, how do these people sleep? And I think um, from, like, my experience, I think they think that, you know, OA would take their business away, you know, and, you know, I know they wouldn't get, you know, so many people relapse, and I know that, uh, but there's so many of us out out there, you know, they'll still have plenty of business, and I'm just really grateful for this program. I'm grateful that I came, um, and I humbled myself, and I listened, and I followed the steps, even the fourth step and fifth step. Um, and I just wanted to say about the altruistic movement. Uh, I have a, a big book dictionary here, and altruistic uh, people have alluded to um, means, uh, where is it? Oh, it means helping others and showing concern for the welfare of others. So this movement about helping people. So I'm just really grateful that I'm a part of this altruistic movement, and with that I'll pass. Thanks so much, Dorita P. Uh, Craig F., followed by Lucy. I'm not sure yet what her initial is. Craig, good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Super. This is great. This is Craig F., recovered and grateful in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, I I guess I got lucky. Uh, I went one time to a, a psychologist. Uh, before I got the program, and uh, he was, uh, uh, thank God, 20 years sober in AA, and he listened to me for an hour, and he said, what I want you to do is go to Overeaters Anonymous and come back and see me in a year when you're ready to be honest with me, and, you know, kind of pissed me off, to tell you the truth, but, uh, you know, what a, what a, a wonderful blessing that uh, he didn't uh, do anything more than show me where to go. And, uh, you know, this paragraph, um, this paragraph speaks to the hopelessness uh, of our addiction. It speaks, you know, and the doctors uh, and psychologists at that time, they, they had nothing, it says, like they had nothing to recommend but entire abstinence. In other words, all they knew how to do was tell people not to drink, uh, don't eat. Well, that's no good. You know, I mean, you can't you can't just tell me don't eat, don't over don't don't overeat, don't don't drink, because 
uh, if I was capable of doing that, diets would have worked. Weight Watchers would have worked. All, all those commercial diet plans and, and, and the drinking man's diet and the cabbage soup diet, all that stuff would have worked if I had the ability just not to drink. Um, I, 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 I like to make a comparison. Uh, you know, a, a lot of times this, uh, this, the psychiatric, the medical community, they understand why. They, they're, it, it's like a mechanic that understands why your car isn't running. You know, he says, well, it's not getting enough gas. Okay, well, how do we give it more gas? Well, I don't know, but I know it's not getting enough gas to the cylinder. And, and you know, but the spiritual uh, altruistic movement growing up around us, it, it tells us that the more gas is available by surrender to a power greater than ourselves. That that God will give us God will give us the fuel to to stay with uh, a food plan. God will give us the fuel to be freed of the of the food obsession. And uh, you know that that probably I mean it's difficult to see that occur uh, in in a uh, uh, somebody that's scientifically trained. They're they're not trained to think uh, about. Uh, the solution being God. I've sat in program meetings with psychologists, psychiatrists, struggling with their own addictions, and they seem to be some of the last people to be able to get it because Fine. they they want to analyze instead of utilize. And, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks very much, Craig F. I think that if Lucy, Sue, and Leslie could to maybe keep it to two and a half, two to two and a half, we could get you all in. Good morning, okay. Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy R. And um, if you could time me two and a half, that would be awesome. Okay. Um, so I love the big book. I love this paragraph. Um, you know, I'm reminded every time I hear this, this uh, doctor's opinion, this is a spiritual program. Um, all throughout the book, all throughout the 164 pages, it is laid out for us, the tools. It's a spiritual program. The disease, as we all know, is cunning, powerful, and baffling. Like, like everyone here, I got to a point where I was without hope. Um, I had no power. Um, it's odd, but, you know, to maybe to a newcomer, it certainly was to me at the time, but to recognize that when I have no power, that's actually the beginning because recognizing my powerlessness led me to a power with a capital P greater than myself. And um, altruistic, I looked it up, and it means unselfish regard for or devotion to the welfare of others. And movement means the act or process of moving, change of place or position or posture. What that says to me is it the disease was isolation, selfishness, and the uh, healing is from power greater than myself, and then changing my position and posture to an unselfish regard for and devotion to the welfare of others. And I'll pass. Thank you very much.
um, Lucy R. All right, Suji, you are up. Good morning. Good morning. This is Suji, recovered by the grace of God from Michigan. Um, I want to try to keep this short. I'm just going to stay with the altruistic movement for a while. Um, Whenever things don't seem to be going right, I've often thought there's something spiritual going on. And so I increase my prayer time. But I'm finding that what I need to do is increase my outreach, increase my um, reaching out to newcomers, reaching out to people that want outreach calls, um, maybe taking on another person for just for a doctor's opinion, um, making my outreach calls to the people that are on my God squad. <clears throat> and um, it does make a difference. It it removes thoughts that I have of food. Um, it just seems to do something for me that nothing else does besides prayer. But I need to go beyond prayer, and that's to reach out to others. With that, I pass. Well, thanks, Suji. Uh, Leslie W., it is your turn. Did you call me, Anita? This is Leslie W. Yes. Good morning. Thank you so much. Good morning to you, too. Thank you for your service. This is Leslie W., a recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. Um, Let them stand with us a while on the firing line through the tragedies, the despairing lives, the little children. Um, I I was um, nursing my first child before I came in the program. And um, my little child saved my life. And here's how. Um, I had just given birth to him about three or four months prior and exclusively breastfeeding at that time. And his little digestive system wasn't working properly. Um, he would scream and cry whenever he had to have a bowel movement and I couldn't figure out why. Um, and uh, apologies to those who don't have kids who don't want to hear about bowel movements, but, <laughs> um, you know, and I, so I took him to the doctor and I was like, please, I, I don't know what's wrong with him. He, you know, I, I can't figure it out. And, and the doctor was like, yeah, I don't know either. Let's put him on some medication. We got home and, um, and all of a sudden a light bulb went off in my head. And I knew that the reason why he was having so much, so many problems um, was because of all of the crap I was pumping into his body. Um, at that time, my disease was out of control. And that was before I knew about OA. That was before I even knew I had an eating disorder. Um, but I knew that I was the cause of that. And no doctor had to tell me that. I just knew um, because he was getting all of his nutrition from me. And um, I desperately searched for a solution, and I Googled weight loss support groups. Um, and I found Overeaters Anonymous, and I walked into my first meeting that very week. And today I can tell that story with neutrality because I have a beautiful, healthy 8-year-old boy who has a recovered mom today who was present for him. Thank God for Overeaters Anonymous. 
I pass. Thank you. Thank you very much, Leslie W. And I want to thank everybody who shared today. Um, and we will now, I want to tell you that the um, share ID for the hour you just listened to, November 28th, Tuesday, 7 a.m., is 10,719. And now we're um, going to close with the reading from the big book. And please stay, stay on the line for the second unrecorded hour immediately following this closing. And I'll ask Julie R. to read from page 164. Thank you, Anita J. This is Julie R. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pat.